Alright, just to review in civil procedure, what we talked about the other day is there are three really big, well, four really, but we could categorize the two together. There are three really big stages of how the case goes from beginning to end. You have the pleading stage, you have the discovery stage, and you have the trial stage, trial slash appeal. And today we're actually getting into the pleading stage more in depth. So, as we mentioned yesterday, a plea requires three things. First, a statement of jurisdictional grounds. Second, a claim. And third, a prayer for a remedy. So, a statement of jurisdictional grounds, this is just saying the federal courts have subject matter jurisdiction because such and such federal statute or such and such constitutional provision. And then you state all your allegations, which are factual claims, and then you have your claims. And a claim in the pleading is called a count. So a count is comprised of really two points that are essential. First, it has facts. And second, it has the law that needs to go along with those facts. If these two are not connected properly, it's not going to end up working out for the plaintiff who is trying to make this plea. And the reason for that is because, well, for example, you could have a factual claim that is completely disconnected from the law, where, for example, uh, you were hurt. Uh, this is kind of the example. This is pretty much the example we had in class. You're watching football on the television, and uh, you're very invested in your team. Your team loses. And it was because of blown call because of the refs. Because of this, you go up into your room and you cry and you moan and you're in despair. Uh, you've got depression because the refs have blew this game for you. you. You have extreme emotional distress. And so you decide you want to sue the refs. Well, you did have these factual allegations of harm, pain, suffering that you want a remedy for. But there is no statement of law that allows you to actually have this claim resolved. Because the law does not allow a fan base to sue a referee. The league can sue the referee, but the fan base cannot sue the referee. And so you see this disconnection between the facts and the law. Yes, you were hurt. Yes, that is normally a tort. But you are not giving the actual legal basis to have a cause of action because there is this disconnect and it goes both ways the facts need to be there to support the law and the law needs to be there to support the facts if you have one or the other but not both well then you can't actually make a claim the rules for the average pleading are found in rule 8 of the federal rules of civil procedure and federal 8 Federal Rule 8, I believe, uh, A1, maybe it's A2, says that a short and plain statement is how you want to develop your claims. And so that means that the plaintiff can be very brief in their facts. So during discovery, you have a pretty high evidentiary bar that you need to hit. You need to have tons of facts, tons of proof to try and state your claim. But at the briefing level you have a very low bar of facts that you need to hit. You just need to state enough to, first of all, not plead yourself out of court, but enough for you to not say enough. 
And so it's really this finding this balance of what's too much and what's too little and finding that pretty little spot in between that will allow you to go to court. So we have a couple of examples here. We have Dovey Smith of a basic complaint. And so this case is a 12B6 motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim. And what happened here is that the defendant argued that the facts in the complaint are insufficient. So what the defendant is saying is that, yes, you have the law, the law is right, but your facts are disconnected from the law. Your facts are not stating enough information to meet the requirements of this law. And the court disagrees, and the reason for this is because there is enough information to actually, for the defendant to, first of all, know what they're being sued for, but for these facts to actually meet the standard, either directly said or by inference. And the reason for this is so the big issue of it was the plaintiff's claim did not say anything about interception, but the law requires this word interception. But the court says you can tell from the facts that material was intercepted, and because you can infer that, it is sufficient to state a claim. So stated differently and restating it again, there only needs to make be enough facts to make the claim plausible. And the facts will need to be proven at trial, but at the pleading stage, it just needs to be enough. Our second case that we talked about was Jones v. Bach. And this is making sure that you exhaust all other administrative remedies before you end up going to the court. So we talked a lot about the complaint, and now let's jump to the answer a bit. The answer has three different parts as well. First, you can respond to the allegations. We talked about the ways you can respond yesterday. Uh, we talked about uh, you can accept, you can deny, or you can state, I don't know. That's the first thing you can do. And the second thing that you can do in your defense is that you can provide affirmative defenses. And the third thing is that you can make counter-arguments. This case was all about providing affirmative defenses. So Jones v. Bach, Brock, sorry, no, it was Bach. What happened here is that there were some prison inmates who uh, were mistreated in the prison and they ended up wanting to sue. Well, a statute came out saying prison inmates have to exhaust all other remedies before they can take it to the court. The purpose of this was to limit the amount of prison complaints because there were just a ton of prison complaints. Uh, some of them legit, others not, and the court wants to make sure that they only get the legit ones. And so first, you need to go to the warden, make your complaint to them, and there's this three-step process that you end up needing to do before you can actually take it to the court. Well, these people uh, in this case had done, to an extent, and these things. The first person had exhausted all remedies, but didn't say it in the pleadings. The second person had exhausted all remedies, um, but didn't name all the defendants. And the third person, in this case, had exhausted half of the p remedies, and the other half were not exhausted. And so it's really a matter of which cases are allowed to go through. And this is an affirmative defense argument here. So the big question that we have to ask is, does this need to show up in the pleadings for the plaintiff 
in the complaint, or does this have to show up as an affirmative defense in the defendant's answer? That's really the big question. And what the court says here is no. It does not need to show up in the pleadings of the plaintiff in the complaint. Instead, it should show up as an affirmative defense in the defendant's answer. So what this means is the plaintiff still needs to have exhausted all of the remedies, but they don't need to state all those facts showing how they exhausted all of the remedies in the pleadings. Meaning, what the defendant was asking for was this low bar to be raised just a little bit to have this additional information given in the pleadings. And the court denied that and said, yes, they still need to have done all those things, but the defendant is the one responsible for bringing it up in the defense. And so that's really the biggest takeaway from Jones v. Bach. Our final case is Leatherman versus uh, Toronto County Narcotics Intelligence and Coordination Unit. Uh, that narcotics unit is a SWAT team that was involved in trying to discover drugs. Our biggest takeaway from this case is that it's really hard to sue the government. So you can sue governmental officials just fine. Uh, you can sue each individual of that SWAT team just fine. But it's a matter of whether or not you wanted to sue the government because the government has bigger pockets. let's go ahead and talk about this in two senses. The first sense is we've got discovery part and we have the pleading part. So in the discovery part, when you try and sue the government, you have this heightened sense of evidence that you need to gather. But in the pleading part, you typically don't have a very high standard. And so the question that we're asking in this case is, do we also have a heightened pleading standard just like we do in the discovery stage? And the court looks at that, and they say, okay, Rule 8 lists a plain and simple statement. This is a lower standard. Rule 9 of the Federal Rules of uh, Civil Procedure lists a couple of things that actually does require a heightened standard. This is mistake and fraud. And the reason for that is because you need to be more particular in the details. There's uh, fraud elements that are just... Yeah, hard to pinpoint down. We'll talk more about that next week. But there's nothing listed in there saying you have to make it a little bit more partic particular when you're suing a governmental agency or a governmental group. And so what the court says in this case is, no, you don't need to have this higher standard in the pleading stage. Yes, you'll need to have it in the discovery stage, but no, you don't need it in the pleading stage. Okay, so what are our big three takeaways from this? First of all, stating a claim. Stating a claim is a count, and it needs to be done in plain and simple language where, with enough evidence for the facts to be associated with the law that you are trying to connect with it. Our second big takeaway is that 12b-6 motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim happens a lot of the time when you haven't exhausted all your administrative remedies. And to exhaust all your administrative remedies, 
you need to go and exhaust all those, but it doesn't need to be in the pleading. There isn't this heightened standard for that. That comes as an affirmative defense. And the final takeaway that we have is that Rule 9 lists what requires a heightened sense of pleading requirements, and it lists only those things that has a heightened sense of pleading requirements. And because of that, any other thing does not have this heightened standard except for fraud and mistake. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.